the past few years, we've heard the term free agents and been told we would all need to become one in order to succeed. The recent economic structures have helped to promote this concept as reality. Where do we get the tools to take control of our career path in the present and future? Welcome to The Career Confidant with your host, Marie Zimanoff. Marie and her guest experts are here to provide you with the tools you need to move forward and achieve your career goals. Now, here is Marie Zimanoff. Hello and welcome to The Career Confidant. We're so excited today to have a guest for you to learn from, Alex Budak. And Alex, you are a professor at UC Berkeley. Oh, you're a professor at UC Berkeley, and you're also teaching a course there and have a book on becoming a change maker. I'm just so excited to learn about this. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Marie, delighted to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Alex, you've been teaching this course for a while, and you really talk to people about how to become a change maker. And tell me why this is becoming more and more important now and how you define change maker. Well, if the past few years have taught us anything, it's that we're living in a world of constant flux and constant change. As I make the case to my students on the first day, I believe that your success will be defined by your ability to navigate, shape, and lead change. Now, the question isn't just can we crawl under a rock and try to merely survive change? I think the most effective leaders, the people that build meaningful and impactful careers will be those that get comfortable with change and can learn to see it as an asset. Now, that's not easy. I don't pretend that it's easy, but there's a huge opportunity there for those of us to kind of change our relationship with change. Now, you mentioned, you know, I think about change making. Um, I put out a radically inclusive and a simple definition. So the definition I put out is simply a change maker, someone who leads positive change from wherever they are. So you'll see in the definition that there's no mention of roles or of titles or seniority level. It's this inclusive identity we can think about where it's about how we can lead change from wherever we are, about understanding the world around us and our role in shaping it. It's also an identity we can layer on top of our existing ones. So we can become a changemaker lawyer, a changemaker doctor, or just a changemaker friend or changemaker parent. It's a new way of seeing the world and our role in shaping it. Oh, I love that. So it's really about adapting and leading the change, uh, changes that are happening. And as you mentioned, like this rapid pace of change has just accelerated even when we didn't think it could. <laughs> how is that? How do you see that playing out with some of your classes right now? How are, how are people experiencing this new pace of change? You know, one of the things I remember is um, I had less than 24 hours from the time where our school decided this is back at the uh, onset of COVID, with less than 24 hours to be like, okay, I'm going to go in class in person tomorrow to nope, we're going remote. And I remember the wise words that a student of mine, she's probably 19, 20 years old, she, she said, no one knows what they're doing right now. We're all figuring this out as we go. And when she said that, I felt like a giant sigh of relief. It's actually this huge opportunity. We often get so stuck in our ways of doing things and think, oh, that's the only way that things can go. or just got to kind of continue going on. But sometimes these disruptive moments can actually be a great chance for us to take a step back and sort of think about things. And really inspired by her words, I thought, well, hey, it's a chance to not just do things the way that they are, but think about how could we create a new path going forward? So, so many of my students, I teach undergraduates, graduates, and also executives. So folks everywhere from age 18 to 75. And I think everyone is trying to figure out what to do with this change. You know, we're wrestling with questions around the great resignation, the great reset. How do we find more purpose, more impact in the work that we do? Um, 
but also how do we live a life that's true to who we are? And I think change-making can be a lens that helps us understand some of our opportunities there. Yes, because when you're involved in making the change, it's much more purposeful than just when you're responding to the change. And I love that you use that word purpose because people are really trying to figure out how to live with more purpose. And it sounds like change making is one way that you help people do that. That's right. And I think what you're hinting at here is something that I like to call the art of agency. So, you know, change making might sound exciting. Maybe it sounds inspiring, but some of your listeners might also say, no, it sounds kind of fuzzy. And you know, I, I get that, right? I'm at, I'm at Berkeley. I'm grounded in empirical research and data. And so I've actually set out to do a study, which I call the change maker index, which looks at, you know, what are the traits that the most effective change makers have in common, irrespective of age, sector, role. Um, and we're beginning to crunch the data, which is super fun, super interesting. We're seeing patterns. And one of the things the most effective change makers do is, again, have this sense of agency, this belief that life doesn't just happen to me. I go and create my opportunities. I go and create things, make things happen. And I think when folks can make that cognitive switch to being someone who makes things happen, then that unlocks not just change, but also a lot of other really positive things in our career as well. I love that. Any other um, themes that you're seeing as you look at the data? The other one I love is that we find that the most important leadership technique, right? There's a lot of different leadership techniques. We find that for leading change, that influence is so much more important than formal authority. And I find it fascinating because, again, I teach people everywhere from 18 all the way to more senior executives. And in general, the older you are, the more experienced you are, the more confident you are in leading change. But it doesn't mean necessarily that you're more effective because we're seeing that what it takes to actually be effective is no longer being able to say, okay, because of my title, because of my role, this is what you have to do, but find ways to encourage, inspire, and get other people to be part of the changes with you. And that's a new skill set I think so many of us are learning right now, but it's also a fun opportunity to think about, okay, if it's no longer about my title, it's no longer about my role, no longer about telling others what to do, then what becomes possible when I think about influencing and inspiring others to be part of the change with me? Yeah, and that word influencer has had so much baggage around it, you know, since the uh, Instagram influencer came to be. But it's, as I love your des- description of it there, it's really that encouragement, inspiring, getting others to make change. Tell me a little bit more about what you see going into that influence skill set. Yes. Yes, I think you're exactly right. So when we hear the word influence, we probably think of two things. So one is that sort of like Instagram influencer. And the second one is maybe if, you know, some of your listeners have gone to like business school, you sometimes learn influence techniques. And honestly, they sometimes feel kind of sleazy, right? You might learn something like the reciprocity effect. That's the idea that like, Marie, I go do something really nice for you. You don't even want me to do it. You don't like me, but you, just because I did something nice for you, you feel compelled to do something nice for me in return. And that's how we often think about influence. But needless to say, that isn't the type of influence that change makers practice. Um, so I've come up with five different influence superpowers, five ways of influencing others sustainably and for the long term. To briefly go through them, you know, you start with empathy. So being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. I think so crucial, right? Empathy isn't the same as sympathy, but empathy, before you try to influence someone, before you try to get them to do something with you, I'd understand where they're coming from. You know, are they new to the job and totally overwhelmed? Are they just super excited about this change? Or maybe are they a new parent and just so overwhelmed with life outside of work that they don't have time to think about a new project? All of these are valid. Understand where they're coming from before you even try to influence. The second is relationships. Now, relationships take time, of course. 
Um, but sometimes people will be part of your change simply because they know that you care about them and they care about you. You know, I think about recently, a friend of mine reached out and said, hey, Alex, I'm running a race to raise money for this rare disease that it affected one of his loved ones. Would I support him? And in a second, I said, yes, of course, absolutely. But as I thought about it, it wasn't because of the cause. I mean, it's a good cause, a noble cause, but it wasn't one of my most important causes. The reason I supported him was because of our relationship. And so he could have made an ask for one of 500 different causes, and I would have been all in because of our relationship. The third is vision. With vision, I like talking about painting a picture of the future that's so compelling that people can't help but want to be part of it with you. And so you're painting that picture. And then also, crucially, you're helping folks understand how their contributions lead to that bigger picture. Now, maybe you're trying to influence an accountant to be part of a change effort. Help them see how their work crunching the numbers or coming up with financial analysis statements, how that helps you achieve that collective goal. The fourth is passion. I think change makers are naturally passionate. We often feel a lot of pressure to sort of tamp down on that passion, whether that's as we kind of get more senior in our careers or we think we have to be more serious. But I think passion is a superpower. And so if you truly are passionate about something, you know, let that passion out. Let people feel excited about it. Because again, going back to our conversation on purpose, passion can help people unlock their sense of purpose. And then fifthly and finally is safety. So I recognize that not everyone appreciates change, certainly the way I do, but even are that comfortable with change. And so I think we as change makers have an obligation to look out for and support those who maybe find change a bit more scary. And so how can you make it safe for others to be part of changes with you? Here's one very tactical technique I use, which is, you know, if I find someone who wants to be part of the change, they're bought in on the vision, but they just kind of feel scared. I might say something like, look, I get that it's scary. Here's my promise to you. If you come along, if you contribute, and it works, I promise you will get the praise. And I promise if it doesn't work, that I will take the blame. That's a small way to make it safe for others to be part of the change with you. Yeah, I also like to encourage people to think of things as an experiment. So right now we've got so much going on with ChatGPT and in the career space, people are freaking out, right? Will ChatGPT be writing resumes and career coaching and we're not gonna have a job. So well, let's go and experiment with what this can do. Let's write a resume with it because then you'll know what it could do, what the drawbacks are, where you add value beside it. And you can incorporate it if you want, but it's the experiment isn't about being successful. It's not about having the right prompts. It's, it's just about playing around with it so that you can see, do you want to take it to that next step or not? It's just an experiment. And like you said, if, if we fail, what are the consequences? And if you do it in you know the privacy of your own computer, no one even has to know <laughs> that you've tried it out and you don't have to have some of those consequences. So I love that idea. Of just figuring out other ways to feel safe while you while you experiment. I love that so much. It's one of the things that I often work with executives on is to get them to think like a scientist. And it's based off of one of my favorite research studies of the last decade. So these researchers worked with entrepreneurs in an Italian accelerator, right? So people that had startups and they just did one super simple intervention. The only thing they did, they took half of the startups and they taught them the scientific method, right? So hypothesis testing, thinking like a scientist. And they found that that one simple intervention made those that had learned that much more likely to pivot, to change direction, and also generated much higher revenue. It's fascinating to me because that's such a simple intervention, but all they were doing was, like you said, Marie, giving people permission to run experiments. That so often in our careers and our work and our life, we sort of 
put all this pressure on this one big decision, this one big move. But you kind of never know until you actually start something if it'll work. And so if we can have that confidence and that comfort that comes from running experiments, it gives us the ability to just try things. You know, maybe it works, in which case, great. And if it doesn't work, we can pull from the world of lean startup, where they say there's no such thing as failure. It's validated learning. You launch something, it doesn't quite work. You try a new career, it doesn't quite work. You haven't failed. No, it's actually a win. You figured out something that doesn't work for you, that doesn't give you joy. Great. Now move on to the next experiment. Oh, I love that. And we're going to talk about failure. So we're going to take a short break. If you're joining us live or you're watching this on YouTube, you can come over to the Career Confidant Radio and we're going to finish up the rest of our interview with Alex on, on uh, our Career Confidant Radio spot. Just love this idea of change making and how people can re rethink about failure, about leadership. And we're going to dive into those two topics a little bit more when we come back. So we'll be right back here on The Career Confidant. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. tuned in to the career confidant with marie zimanoff if you have a question or comment for marie or her guest today please call 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to marie at strategicadvantage.com. now back to the career confidant welcome back to the career confidant and today we've been talking with Alex Budek about his newish book, 
change maker, becoming a change maker. And Alex, we talked a little bit about what change making means and, and your five skills for influence was just a gem. If people miss that, they want to go back and listen in to those five skills for influence. And then we were talking a little bit about failure and how when we're doing change, you know, approaching it like an experiment or, or seeing that you know, there it's not always going to work out. And I know in your course, Becoming a Change Maker, you teach about failure. Tell me a little bit about what that looks like in your class. Yeah, so these folks are probably a lot like the people listening to the show right now. So high achievers, or maybe if you're a coach, you know, the, the folks that you coach, um, people that are kind of used to doing things the right way. You get into position because you su succeed a lot. And one of the aspects of being a change maker is that we have to change our relationship to failure. And so we spend an entire lecture talking about failure. We look at some case studies, some of the research, some of the data, watch an inspiring video. But then towards the end of class, I put up a slide which just has two words. It simply says, go fail. And my students kind of look around nervously like, well, what's going on here? I go, yeah, I'm serious. I put up the next slide and I go, okay, here's your assignment. You have 15 minutes. You have to go leave the classroom and you can't come back until you've been rejected. You have to go out and purposely fail. You can't tell someone it's for a class and you've got to ask for something and get a no. So I look at my students and they feel so nervous. You can actually see it in their bodies. They say either that they're starting to sweat a little bit, they're shivering around in their chairs, they're nervous. Um, I'm a big believer in psychological safety. So I say, look, you know, if you want a little support, I'll be at the front of the room. I'll coach you, I'll mentor you, I'll kind of guide you through it. But I'm serious. You have 15 minutes, clock starts now, go fail. And so these students nervously shuffle outside of the classroom. And then when they come back, the energy is just off the charts. So much so that I once had a professor next door come over and ask us to keep the noise down because students are so lit up from this experience. And we find that one of two things happens. So for about 30% of people, they go in, they're sure they'll get rejected and actually get a yes. I think about one woman who went to the cafe downstairs and said, hi, uh, could I have a free orange juice? And she started turning and walking away, just expecting the no. But the barista said, yeah, okay. And she went, oh, I'm supposed to fail. Um, okay, can I have two? And he said, <laughs> yeah, okay. Three? No, thankfully you cut her off there. But you came back with two orange juices for the class. That's the first lesson is that sometimes our first failures that we're so sure will be rejected that we don't actually put ourselves out there in the first place. And then for the other 70% or so of folks, they do get rejected, right? They ask for something silly. They ask, you know, one woman asked another woman, hey, could I try on your shoes? And thankfully she said, no. <laughs> Um, but, you know, they come back and they realize that failure isn't fatal. No one laughed at them. And most importantly, they come back with a renewed sense of confidence. But multiple students say, you know, that they feel proud of themselves. Then they realize, hey, if I could ask for something I didn't even want in the first place, like what would that woman have done if she actually had to put on her shoes, right? No, I always want it. But if I can ask for something, then how different will it be when I'm truly asking for something that I want? A raise, a new job, um, whatever it is, you've come up with this new sense of confidence. And it connects back to one of the core themes that we talk about that day, which is something called the failure paradox, which is that we tend to look at folks who have, you know, in quotation, succeeded. We think, well, they've just succeeded a lot. But actually the data across industry show that those who succeed the most also fail the most. That it's not about just having one huge hit. Bernie, as you talked about with experimentation, it's about trying a bunch of stuff, having a bunch of failures, but being willing to keep getting back up and then you find those successes along the way. And then that as you learn, right, you, you fail, you learn something, and then you put that into the next success. 
But if you just keep having success, well, I don't even know that that's possible, yeah. <laughs> but you don't get the same learnings, right? That's right. And also I would argue, and, uh, you know, sometimes my students say like, look, I don't want to fail. I just want to have success. And I'd say, you know, maybe you can, but in that case, then if you always succeed on everything, you're probably not trying that hard. You're not putting yourself in tough situations and you're not achieving everything that you're capable of. Because if you always, always succeed, you're leaving a lot on the table. So I think it's a fundamental aspect of being a change maker is to change our relationship with failure. Mm, I love that. And then that activity, I know that a lot of, you know, MBA programs and those types of things do that where they tell people to go out and fail. One of the other ones that I've heard people say is, you know, put together a business plan that you know would fail, like trying to sell, I mean, you know, the old cliche, trying to sell ice to, uh, ice to people in cold places, whatever it might be. And when you do that, then you also get this sense of like, hey, I thought that would be silly. But then when I started going through it, I thought there are some learnings even in this silly exercise and maybe even some really great ideas. And it comes to that idea, not just of failure, but of thinking about things that are outlandish, but oftentimes then you land on something that's great. Yeah, and it's all part of the mindset. And I talk about in the book, this idea of change maker mindset of like being willing to question the status quo. And we're always thinking about just marginal little improvements. You know, maybe you get there, but it takes a long time. But I, I think it's important for us as change makers to have those big, bold ideas. And we realize that, yeah, you know what? Maybe a lot of them won't succeed. But if one does, you know, there's outsized asymmetrical impact that you can have. And so it doesn't mean you try every single crazy idea that you have, but you develop a comfort with that, with saying like, look, I'm thinking big and I'm going to try something with it and see what happens. Yeah. I just posted on LinkedIn today and I was, I was uh, highlighting this show, the change maker mindset, as you call it, but really that we talk a lot about upskilling in the career space and it's a lot of skills, but there's so much mindset that goes along with it because you really can't upskill if you're not in the right mindset. And that idea of, I called it an enterprising mindset, you know, and an entrepreneur looks at what are the gaps and how do I fill them? And I love your change maker mindset, you know, what it, what's outside of the status quo and what might that bring to me? Yeah, and that, you know, Laura Huang from uh, Harvard Business School has a nice way of thinking about entrepreneurship. You know, we tend to think about entrepreneurship as being like launching a company and selling it to Google. But I think entrepreneurship is so much more than that. And she defines entrepreneurship as using the resources you have to get what you want. Mm -hmm. What a cool way to think about it, because then it's not about building a company or scaling a company. It's really about that mindset. It's about sort of, this is where I am. This is what I have. And how do I use that in a smart way to get to that next stage? Again, whether that's a career journey or a new product or whatever it is, there's an opportunity for each of us. We don't have to be entrepreneurs. Most of us won't be entrepreneurs. We can all think entrepreneurially. Right. Yeah. And this kind of comes down to the last concept in, in the book, the program that you talk about, which is micro leadership. And you said this at the very beginning, so we'll kind of wrap it back around here, that you don't have to be in a leadership position to be a change leader. Tell me a little bit about what that means and this micro leadership concept. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like when we tend to tell stories of leadership, we love to tell these stories that are heroic, mythical, superhuman, right? So we think about you know, Nelson Mandela fighting apartheid, uniting a nation, or Steve Jobs pulling that first iPhone out of his pocket. And you know, to be clear, there's a place for this incredible once in a generation type of leadership. But I think we tend to put these leaders up on a pedestal 
And it causes so many of us to look at that and say, you know, well, that's just not who I am. Right? I'm not that courageous. I'm not that extroverted. I'm not that brave. So does that mean I can't be a leader? But no, I think we have it backwards. I think that leaders might be scarce, but leadership is abundant. In any organization, there might be only one CEO, only five executive vice presidents. I think each and every one of us can practice acts of leadership. We've got to decouple leadership as a title to leadership as an act. And so to sort of bring this concept into practice, I put forward an idea, a concept I call micro-leadership, which simply breaks leadership down into its smallest and most meaningful unit, which is a single leadership moment. Mm. And if you think about it, if you pay attention, you'll notice that there's dozens and dozens of these leadership moments that appear before us dozens of times per day. Right? You might think about um, being the one person that says no when everyone else says yes. Or maybe you're the one person to stay late and help a new colleague clean up after their first event. Uh, these are all tiny little leadership moments. It's paying attention. And maybe you notice in a meeting that one of your colleagues hasn't spoken up and you say, hey, you know, no pressure here, but love to hear from you if you're willing to share your perspective. Tiny little leadership moments. And again, going back to the idea we talked about at the very beginning, this art of agency. No one needs to give you permission to step up and seize these tiny leadership moments. To be sure, to be CEO, you have to get formal authority. You have to sign a contract, right? But to practice leadership, no one needs to give you permission besides yourself. You can seize these tiny leadership moments. It goes back to that mindset, that mindset of service, that mindset of stepping up, of serving others. When we start looking for these leadership moments, you'll see that they appear before you all the time. And so my challenge, my opportunity to the people listening today is to think about, you know, what's a leadership moment that you'll seize? How can you practice micro-leadership literally today before you go to bed? Do at least one act of micro-leadership and see how that changes you. Right, because you can do that inside your family, inside a friends group. And if, you know, people aren't working today for whatever reason, that there's so many other opportunities. And once you start to exercise that muscle, just like any other muscle, then it becomes that habit of practicing leadership in your, in your life, really. I love that idea. So tell people, Alex, where can they find your book? Where's the best for them to connect with you and follow these great concepts that you're sharing? For the book, you can grab it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, local bookshops. If you want to check out more, changemakerbook.com. And absolutely love connecting with folks. I'm active on LinkedIn. So, you know, connect there. Send me a message. Let me know you listened to this, this uh, conversation we had together today. Um, and let's keep in touch there because I would love to support you in your journey as becoming a changemaker. Yes. Oh, I can't wait. I look forward to hearing from people if they take some of these concepts and put them into practice. As you said, we're in this space where things are changing so quickly and we all have that opportunity to grab some agency in the process and become a change maker. So we are going to take another short break. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and uh, subscribe so that you can get our next show and we'll take a short break. We're gonna say goodbye to Alex. We'll be back here on Career Confidant to talk through some of the other skills we'll need in the future of work based on the new World Economic Forum report that was just released last week. So we'll take a short break and we'll be right back on the Career Confidant. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. 
You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Simonoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Say It Skillfully is my radio show about being who you are and saying what you think needs to be said. This is your host, Molly Chang. I'll help you find the right words to tackle any challenging conversation you've been avoiding. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. You'll learn how to achieve success on your terms and be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in your life. Check out sayitskillfully.com for practical resources, including my 90-second videos, real-life examples showing you how to speak up skillfully. I invite you to call in with your questions. Join me live every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. And no, I'm cheering for you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned in to the career confidant with marie zimanoff if you have a question or comment for marie or her guest today please call 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to marie at strategicadvantage.com. now back to the career confidant Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we were talking with Alex about becoming a change maker. And I just love this idea of using change making as a skill, how we can increase our agency, think about the mindset it takes to take to do that, and then also the skills that he was talking about that go into making a change maker and how we build our influence, how we make change and then how we adapt to change as well with that mindset. So there's a mindset and a skill set. I think it's really important to see that those two go together, especially as we're going to dive into talking about some of the skill sets. The new World Economic Future of Jobs report came out just last week, and it's a big thing. It's big. There's a lot of stuff in there. So we're going to go through some of the highlights for those of you that don't enjoy reading a 100-page paper about how workers are changing, how work is changing, and some of the themes from 2020 when the last Future of Jobs report was put out to today with this new report. And starting with um, maybe something that is a little bit unsettling, 
So in 2020, the report showed that technology would be creating more jobs than it eliminated. And I believe the Delta was around 12 million, that technology would create 12 million more jobs than it eliminated. This year, the report came out and it's a different story. Now they're showing that technology will eliminate about 14 million more jobs than it creates. Now that sounds like a big number, it's, it's a little scary, you look at the percentage, it's 2%. So 2% of jobs that might be eliminated because of technology. Now, I like looking back at the 2020 report, comparing it to this report, because it shows us that it's just a prediction, right? Three years ago, technology was going to create 12 million more jobs than it eliminated. And then today, it's going to eliminate 14 million more than it creates. It's just a point in time. It's important for us to look at and to see what some of the trends are and what types of jobs it's talking about being eliminated or being significantly replaced by technology. That's important. And it's not a, a death sentence to those jobs because three years from now, there'll be another report and we'll see what the data says then and how we've moved between that time. What we do wanna do is look at the short term what does this mean for you now what new skill sets might you want to develop now and if your job is on that line of things that are decreasing because of technology what does that mean and how can you pivot in the short term to start working towards something that may have more longevity based on this research again realizing that this is just you know it's one point in time so let's look at some of the jobs that are being created, some of the jobs that are growing. Obviously, AI and machine learning, that's number one on their, on their list. If we're not in AI, we might think, okay, what does that mean for me and my skill set? How might I leverage my skill set in that type of company, in that type of world that's doing that? They're still going to need marketing people, salespeople, project managers. They're gonna need those people, but who have some ideas about that industry or have some experience at an industry in a different way. So how might we move in that direction? Then you've got, interestingly, sustainability and specialist sustainability programs, renewable stuff shows up on that growing list, which isn't too surprising. Things to pay attention to. Process automation, data engineers, some of the technical pieces big data specialist, business intelligence analyst. So that's not just the technic, the technology, but also the business piece that goes along with it. Blockchain developers, pieces and parts of technology also dealing with people. I see a lot of that interface between people and technology and the individuals that can do that are going to be in high demand. Then you also have some of the people-related skills. So it's a little blip, but it's there. <laughs> Business development professionals, right? Technology cannot take the place of those relationships for business development and creating the new business, having the strategy for that, as well as going out and building the relationships that leads to new business. Project management, still fairly high up on the list in terms of jobs truck drivers, right? Technology, at least in the short term, we're not going to uh, let loose the self-driving trucks. It's coming, but not, not in the short term. This is through 2027, 2030. We've got delivery drivers, 
truck drivers and repair professionals, chefs and cooks. Some of the things that we just think, oh yeah, technology is not going to be able to do that. So those are on the growing side. When you're thinking about how might you leverage your skills in those fields, how might you start taking steps in that direction, doesn't have to all be, you know, the, the software programmer, AI, machine learning, that's there, but it's also the interface between that human technology and those uniquely human skills that technology is not going to be able to replace very quickly. Then you look at some of the jobs that are at the highest risk of being eliminated. Data entry clerks, postal service jobs, bank tellers, accountants, and statistics, door-to-door -door salespeople, telemarketers, the things that technology can fairly easily eliminate or automate to the point where you'll need less and less people to do that job. So if you're in those jobs, you want to think about how can you leverage this skill in a way that is either uniquely human, that technology can't replace it, or where you would now be the person that's interfacing between the technology and the human. When you're in those fields that are at the highest risk, you want to start looking at upskilling or reskilling towards those new types of jobs that are showing in the growth areas. And this has been somewhat stable over the last two reports, the types of jobs that are growing and the types that are shrinking. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff in the middle where technology is going to replace some jobs, but it's also going to create jobs. And in those spots, you want to think about how can I make sure I'm one of the people that keeps the job, use the technology, keeping up to me to my skills, having this change maker mentality that we were just talking about, where I am going to fit and to stay there and adapt to the new way that the job is being done as the technology comes in. And that's really your goal, right? Is to be that person that is able to come and stay in that type of job because you can adapt to the technology. So let's look at some overall sector implications. We see agricultural equipment for some reason is, is having a large growth in jobs. Agricultural equipment, heavy truck and bus drivers, vocational education, that's interesting, right? How can we help people get these new skills that we'll need? That's one of the most growing fields. Mechanics, machinery, business development, again, so those of us that are good with people, this is, this is a place we're gonna be able to shine. Now bring that strategy and technology use to do that bring it in and we're going to be even more successful building construction right the ai cannot do that university higher education teachers electrotechnology engineers so those are some of the hottest growing fields overall when we look at the last few years um, and a little bit of that projection outward then you've got some of the declines over the last few years. Again, data entry, admin, accounting, security guards, that's an interesting one. And facilities workers, building caretakers and housekeepers. That's interesting too, because I feel like there's been an uptick in the requirements for that in some places. Another caveat, right? But I take this with a grain of salt because in some areas, certain sectors that even are seen as not growing in the in a global view, are growing in certain locations for whatever reason that might be. 
when you're in those fields again and thinking about how could you leverage your skill sets in the growing field or how could you pivot to be able to use your skills in one of the growing fields if it's not you know where you are now interesting to see that how disruptive we're expecting things to be has actually calmed down a little bit so in 2020 there was more of a panic around the disruption it's interesting because the, the number of jobs created was more than the number eliminated but now we're seeing a little bit less disruption in terms of what we expect for skills still a lot 44 percent of jobs we expect will be disrupted by new skills but that's lower than the 57 percent it was in 2020. so what skills do we need to be able to have right now to be successful we hear these a lot you know analytical thinking creative thinking resilience we should talk about change making right all of those fit into their motivation and self-awareness we're not going to have someone you know beating down our door to get us to make these moves to get the education that we need to stay relevant we're going to have to do that on our own yeah empathy dependability technological literacy you're going to have to use technology in every single job so getting comfortable with that even if it's not your you know even if it's not necessarily a huge part of your job so what skills are on the line very similar creative thinking analytical thinking that technology literacy curiosity i just love that one because right we can all show up with curiosity and wanting to learn lifelong learning resilience and agility i know some people you know resilience can have on a where we're denying our needs this is really that agility and as things shift to be able to learn and be relevant in the new way that my job is done ai and big data and that one basically coming on the stage motivation self-awareness talent management that's an interesting one dive a little bit deeper into that and then service orientation and customer service being able to work with others influence others and and have that empathy and leadership on the rise and it's going to continue to be important moving forward so as you think about kind of reskilling and upskilling what skills where are your gaps and where is it that we might want to fill in and plug in in these jobs of the future is it ai or is that not your your thing then you might say okay i'm going to do the leadership social influence you know business development really putting all your eggs in those baskets so that you can shine in those areas that are growing if the technology side isn't for you and i think sometimes the picture gets painted as you know all the jobs are going to be tech jobs but that's not what these reports show there are opportunities for uniquely human skills to shine and those will be necessary to come alongside the technology you know i don't think we can stick our head in the sand and not learn anything about the new technology but we don't need to become an engineer product you know a prompt engineer or a big data person to you know to an extent we just need to be comfortable enough in those conversations so that as we're bringing our business development customer service leadership skills alongside we're able to participate in those conversations because they're growing and they're, they're not going anywhere right and we've got to be able to show up with those 
Now the three priorities for soft skills kind of you put some of those terms together that I was just sharing. You've got self-efficacy, right? Can I show up and, and be comfortable switching into new things? Can I work with others? And do I know the difference between right and wrong? We're going to take a short break and we're going to come back. I want to dive a little bit deeper into the big skill sets that we need to be successful in the future of work. And we'll be right back in just a few minutes. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Are you a business owner, 1099 contractor, part-time employee, or volunteer who needs group health coverage you can actually afford? Do you know a nonprofit who would benefit from unlimited zero-cost funding? How about cost reduction, school safety, mental health wellness, and more? All these and more are fair game on finding certainty. If you want more certainty in your own life, you are not alone. Join us each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Find your own brand of certainty and realize your personal American dream with Finding Certainty, hosted by Patrick Lang. Let's unwrap the certainty experience together. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. are tuned in to the Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to the Career Confidant. Hello and welcome back to The Career Confidant. So today we're talking about new skills that we need to be successful in the future of work. And the Future of Jobs report from the World Economic Forum just came out. There's a lot of information in there. I just boil it down to what I see as the top six skill areas that we need to work on, we need to develop to be successful in the future of work. So the first one is this enterprising attitude or it kind of goes along with this idea of the change maker, entrepreneur, but not that we're all going to have to start our own business, but that we need some of those skill sets to survive, especially as we might be moving from job to job, career to career, company to company more often, or maybe even be thinking about how we bring in our own side hustle or whatever that might be. We need to have some different skill sets. So one is this idea of creativity, creativity, curiosity, looking for the gaps in the future market and figuring out how we might plug in and what we need to learn to be ready to do that. 
The next is risk tolerance. So thinking about how we fail, what we do with failure, how we get more comfortable with failure. And then the last one in this enterprising skill set is financial acumen, that we might be used to a company managing pretty much our finances for us, right? They pay our taxes, they take out the money for our 401k or our health insurance. And now as we're going to be moving between companies more frequently, we'll have to be engaged more in managing all of that. Or if we do decide to do something independent, we'll need to understand how that adds to our financial picture and what we need to do in terms of uh, compliance and accounting and other things to, to make that happen. We'll have technology that can help us, but we'll still need that financial acumen. So that's that enterprising skill set and attitude that we really need to have. Then we've got emotional intelligence. We've talked a lot about emotional intelligence in the past, that ability to build trust to build community, to be adaptable and, and resilient as we have to move from thing to thing. And then of course, the leadership skills that come along with that, that we've gotta be able to self-lead as well as lead others, not necessarily because of our title. The cultural intelligence goes hand in hand with that, but it's, a, it's very specific and important to realize that we'll need to be able to lead across cultures across different diverse teams, across global teams, and be able to lead virtual teams or work in virtual teams, even if we're not in that leadership role, to be effective, to get what we need to get done, and to ad advance in our career. We'll need those cross-cultural skills and cultural intelligence as well. Now we're getting to a little bit more of the hard skills and hard skills is kind of one thing in and of itself, but it's gonna be specific for each individual. What are the hard skills you need to be able to do your job well? And then how are you learning to make sure you have the hard skills that are required to do your job in the future? Whether that's you know specific computer skills or sales skills or marketing skills, and teaching, whatever it might be, those hard skills are going to evolve and we've got to stay up with the times and make sure we're ready to pivot and have the skills that are needed. Then digital literacy is its whole own bucket because no matter what job we do, we'll need to understand how to use digital tools, automation, AI, whatever it might be, we'll need to understand how to use digital tools to make that happen. If we're not using technology, whether it's true or just perceived, we'll be seen as not being efficient, not being up with the times, not being that person that someone wants to move forward to advance, to work with as a business owner, whatever it might be. If we're not ahead, not up to date with our digital skills, we'll be falling behind. And how we do that, also understanding where digital tools fit in the picture, how we're gonna use those tools ethically, and how we use the data in a positive way. That you can't just get the data, you've gotta understand the data communication, data literacy, data storytelling, to be able to use that in a productive way. Then the last tool, and it's interesting, this came up in the Dell research from 2017, when they talked about, you know, 85% of the jobs that were going to happen in 2030 didn't exist yet. They called out personal branding as one of the main skills. 
Now, personal branding, we talk about on the show, but if you're new, <laughs> you may not know that this is not just about marketing yourself or selling yourself. It's really about that foundation of understanding who you are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and what you want to do. Who needs to know you, what you want to be known for, and continually nurturing that process so that you've got a community, you've got a, a visibility that you can leverage as you're making these transitions or as you're building the business or as you're trying to influence change. You've got to have that foundation first to have confidence, to have self-efficacy, to have agency. This, all, this is the root, really, of all of it is understanding who you are, what your power is, what your purpose is as a person, what you want to be known for, which may shift a little bit, but it's always rooted in that, you know, in that understanding of who you are, who needs to know you, and then having the tools to connect those dots, to tell the stories, to build the community, you know, have all of the communication pieces as well as the digital technology to maintain the visibility. It's not about being a, you know, Instagram influencer. It's about knowing how to use technology to manage all of this, to be known, to build community, to demonstrate who you are, to have that individuals know who you are. You're going to use digital tools to exude that personal brand, to constantly live a little bit out loud in a way that makes sense, who you are, what you stand for, and you can be able to tell the stories when and, and how that shifts, not if, <laughs> but when and how that shifts, because that is going to be your currency, really, to make these transitions is the, the communities that you've built and the understanding you have and can communicate around who you are, what you do, and how that adds value for the people that you want to work with and for. How do you add value for them based on that initial foundational brand of who you are and how you want to show up in the Keeps your energy as you move through those changes and it helps you make those connections. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation today around the future of work and the skills we'll need to be successful. Again, subscribe to our YouTube channel or, or subscribe here to the Career Confidant so that you get those episodes as they come back. Next week, we'll have Petra Zink on the show talking about the future of work in her language, which is becoming the trusted authority. You're going to love it and get so much more even to add on what we talked about today. So we'll see you right back here again next week on The Career Confidant. Thank you for listening to The Career Confidant. Marie Zimanoff will return again with another terrific guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to join us then.